for our speaker this afternoon. I actually am so impressed by him. I was reading through, I actually have more than I could internalize about his bio. Uh, and it's amazing. So uh, this particular um, gentleman is, is a priest with the community of St. John. Uh, the community of St. John seeks to live a spirit rooted in the gospel of St. John through the gift of themselves to God without reserve for the salvation of souls. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? They accomplish this firstly through a contemplative priesthood that constantly seeks the face of Christ, striving to glorify the Father with Christ and help today's world rediscover a sense of adoration and fraternal charity. Secondly, through an apostolic priesthood that answers the call of the new evangelization by following the Lamb wherever he goes. This particular individual has founded three missions in his apostolic work. One is Eagle Eye Ministries. One is the Marian Faith Network. The other is the St. John Institute, which you can find a table for in the cloistered walkway. And without further ado, it's my great pleasure to introduce to you all for today's second main session, Father Nathan Cromley. Thank you. Thank you. Well, they gave me the talk after lunch and put you all in an air-conditioned, quiet space. So this will be a really, this will be everyone's favorite talk. I'm absolutely positive. Why don't we stand and invoke the Holy Spirit? Come, Holy Ghost, Creator, bless. Come, Holy Spirit, Father of the poor, illumine the hearts of thy faithful and enkindle in them the fire of thy love. Send forth thy spirit and they shall be created and thou shalt renew the face of the earth. Let us pray. O God, who didst instruct the hearts of thy faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit, grant us in the same spirit to be truly wise and ever to rejoice in his consolation. To the same Christ our Lord. Amen. St. John. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Well, I think I'm the one that's honored and overjoyed to be in front of the people whom God has called to lead his efforts in this great diocese of Columbus. And I don't say that lightly because I don't mean it lightly. I think that our problem today is not everybody on the outside. I don't think Planned Parenthood is our number one problem. I don't think that poverty is our number one problem. I don't think that our politicians are our number one problem. I don't think the economy is our number one problem. I think the number one problem that faces us lies inside of us. It's our fear. If I could overcome fear in my life, the fear of the darkness, the fear of the enemy, the fear of what other people might think about me, If I could overcome that fear, I could let the Lord out through my life to where he wants to go. Your lives, my friends, are much bigger than than you. I'll say that again. Your lives, my friend, are much bigger than you. It's much bigger than me. Your lives are a stained glass window that Jesus Christ wants to shine his light through into this world. 
When he died upon the cross, he told his apostles, you are the light of this world. Let your light shine before men that they might see the good that you do and give glory to God, our fa- your Father in heaven. Let your light, you are the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. But what if the salt loses its savor? It's good for nothing. But if it has savor, it gives flavor to everything that it touches. You are salt, you are light. These are violent images. And violent not in the sense of doing harm, but violent in the sense of affirming something. Our church is not here, in other words, because we're playing defense. Our church is here to play offense. And we spend most of our time worrying about everybody. What are they going to think of me? What are they, you know, maybe they're going to think you're Catholic. Well, <laughs> wouldn't that be cool? Yeah. Like, I don't know. I mean, if I, if I make the sign of the cross before I eat, I mean, what will they think? They're kind of like, maybe they'll think that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that anyone who believes in him might not perish, but might have eternal life. Yo. I mean, what, what, what do you have to be ashamed of? Why would the light ever be ashamed to shine? Why would a word be ashamed of being spoken? That's weird. Why would a Christian think that she has to hide? I, I don't know. But I know this, if I wanted to bring down a bunch of Christians, if I wanted to stop Christianity, I would realize, man, there is no way I can stop something that God is behind. Right? If it's a stained glass window, and I was like, I mean, every time a light shines through this darn thing, the light comes into the world, and it just looks beautiful. Right? I, I would be, I'd be flummoxed. I can't, I can't stop a light from shining. Right? Once it shines, there it is. The only way that darkness can defeat the light is by convincing the light that it's not meant to shine. Whenever light shines, and every time light shines, it scatters the darkness. Whenever love is present, nothing is more powerful. Nothing can overcome love. Nothing can silence truth. Think about it. Truth is truth. It needs nothing to, do, to be defended. It's like a lion to be unleashed. It defends itself. You know, reality is. But if I could convince the light that for some reason it wasn't light, then I would have overcome the light by convincing the light to become darkness. By a lie, the devil tricks us into believing that we are not what in fact we are. I'll give you a story. It's a, it's a, it's a true story. It's of an, uh, a man who went through ranger training for the army. Ranger training is a brutal exercise. It's 62 days of marching through the swamps, right? So it's not just marching through the swamps. It's like not eating, not drinking, not sleeping. It's like they basically try to break you, uh, and that, that way you quit and you go home, and only the ones that don't quit get to stay. So it's a miserable experience. I mean, he was saying, saying that there was a time where they would stop, and every time they stopped, they would all just lean in like that on each other. And then as they leaned in, they'd fall asleep. So they'd fall asleep standing up, leaning like that on each other, just every time that they'd stop. It was like a little technique just to survive. And he said, I don't know, about day 40 came or so, and they stopped the men, and they had them make a boxing ring. And they said, okay, now you're going to box each other. And if you win, you get to go to sleep. And if you lose, you have to do some sort of dreadful thing. Push-ups, or I don't even know what kind of thing no one really wanted to do. And you're going to fight each other now. And this guy said, I had no... I was scared out of my mind. I didn't know how to box. I don't, I don't know how to fight somebody. Like, what do you mean? I've got to go boxing. Like, there's no training. They just give you gloves. Right? And so he said, I'm going to get, you know, nailed. I'm, this guy's going to kill me. And then he started thinking to himself, well, wait a second. If I'm thinking that then that guy is probably thinking that of me. Well, if he's thinking that of me, he doesn't know that I'm scared. So he said, I ripped off my shirt, I started flexing, <laughs> pumping my things, 
And I started like acting like I was going to rip this guy's head off, even though like, of course, like I was scared out of my mind. He was going to do that to me, but I just didn't let him know that. I wanted to get into his brain before he went into the ring. He said it worked. He knocked him out in the first round. And he gave that testimony, not to say that he was strong, not to say he was any better than that other guy, but to say it was a mental game. My friends, your lives are 90% a mental game. Whether or not you succeed in being a disciple of Christ in this modern world is 90% a mental game. The tactic of the enemy is to flex, rip his shirt off, pump his arms, say that somehow or other you have something to be ashamed of. You've got something that's less than. You don't, you know, I mean like, wow, if I was evil and I wanted to stop God's church, I would not be able to do it any other way than by convincing the church that she didn't have any value and that there was nothing that she could give. So that the church would, of her own admission, keep silent and be mute. I've been working with young adults now for 17 years of my blessed life. So happy to have been able to give that amount. And I hope I can do it for 17 more. I've traveled to all 50 states, founded three ministries, and love doing every minute of it. And as I have worked with young adults, the longer that I work with you, the more that I realize how awesome you are and the incredible potential that you have. You have education. You have youth. You have talent. I mean, you live in an incredible country with an incredible educational system, an incredible health system. You've been given more than the vast majority of your peers worldwide. You can jump in your own car and drive on a road with very few bumps. A couple. At 70 miles an hour, listening to your tunes, you know? That's an incredible life. Talking to your peeps, you know? It's like, what an amazing thing. And as you do that, what happens is that you forget that all of that greatness is meant to be given. And we get these weird complexes in our brains that say, oh, since I'm single, nobody likes me. I must be a bad person. That's really funny because when you get married, then you're like, oh, since I'm married, I don't have any time. I don't have any friends. I'm all lonely. It's so funny. Like on both sides, like if only I got married, life would be so much better. And then you get married, and then you're like, if only I was single again, life would have been so much better. <laughs> or then you're like, okay, now we're married, we've got to have kids. So then you have kids, yeah, but they're not the best kids. I wish my kids were perfect, you know? And you're like, you know, what's it going to take? Life, my friends, is not about you consuming one good thing after the next. Our human hearts could consume every blessing God gave us and we still would be uh, not satisfied. We would be restless. God could give you an incredible family. He can give you health. He can give you a wife. He can give you a kids. He can give you a house. He can give you a job. And you would still sit there and say, I'm restless. And I would say, I know why. You're restless because it's still all about you. Christianity is not all about you. Christianity is where you unleash the fountain of love deep down in your soul. This capacity that you have to give, to unleash into this world an incredible roar of affirmation where you lead this world in the name of Christ. I want to summon that capacity from you. Because, listen, I, I went to Catholic schools. I love Catholic schools. Big, big proponent. Everybody goes to Catholic schools. In my education, I had 12 years of Catholic schools. There are two things that I had drilled into my brains. And I bet it was all drilled into your brain, too. The two fundamental truths that are unshakable and that were repeated so many times that I've got them just part and parcel of who I am. Number one is that God loves me no matter what. 
That's like an awesome truth. I'm so grateful to know that. That no matter what, God loves me. And the second truth that Catholic schools have taught me very well, ingrained in my being, is that I should be a nice person. Be nice. God loves me. Be nice. Pay your taxes. Don't kick the mailman. You know, don't kick your neighbor's dog. You know, love cats. Whatever it is. Be nice. These are incredible foundations. And if you don't have those foundations, welcome to Catholicism. God loves you. Be nice. Okay? It's great. It's a great starting spot. The problem that I have is that at your age, in development, in your faith life, if that's as deep as you have gone, you will end up stagnating and falling away. When you adults tell me about their friends that fell away, it's almost always the same thing. I didn't know why I should stay. Right? I'm not getting anything out of Mass. I'm not getting anything out of my parish. And so then oh, we try to make you feel guilty about it. Like, if you leave, your grandma will really be mad at you, you know? And so you're like there because you don't want grandma to be mad at you. But inside, you're not even there because you're like, I don't know. I mean, God loves me no matter what. So like, I mean, he loves me at home. He loves me when I'm playing my video games. He loves, you know what I mean? Like, he, he loves me at church too. I'm just sure. But like, I don't love him. I can love him at home. I can love him playing my video. You know, what's the point? I want to tell you something. That's because you're in first grade of Catholicism. I'd like to move you along the dial a little bit here. First stage, irreplaceable, super valuable, very, very important. God loves me no matter what. Be nice. How about this second stage? I know that God loves you. But does God know that you love him? Jesus says, who do men say that I am? And we can give answers. And then he looks us in the eyes and he says, who do you say that I am? Who am I to you? That's the question of an adult. And when we can look at the man whose eyes in the book of Revelation were defined twice by St. John as being flames of fire. When he looked into the eyes of Christ, he saw flames of fire. When I can look into those eyes that are flames of fire and give a response back, then in fact I understand what Catholicism is all about. It's about him thirsting for me. I can spend my days, every day, trying to let God fill me, trying to let God fill me. But as long as God's just trying, trying to let God fill me, I'm still in charge. It's still about me. What if you were to spend your days trying to fill him who's hanging upon the cross and saying, I thirst. I am the naked one. I am the poor one. I am the lowly one. I am the reject. I am the bullied of this earth. I have been unjustly condemned. And I stand all alone. Will there be no one to console me? I looked around and I found none, not one. It says in the book of Isaiah. And he looks up to the heavens and he says, I thirst. My Catholicism starts to make sense when I realize that what he's thirsting for is me. And that what I've allowed myself to believe about myself is the lie that I don't have value. If I were to take a self-esteem poll of everyone sitting in this church, I would be astounded at how low it is. Do you know they say this in the business world? They say 70% of the self-talk that goes on in in the brain of a leader, an executive... Is negative. It's kind of cool. Just think about that. Like if you were to take track in your day, the little voice inside your head, wouldn't it be cool if the little voice inside your head 70% of the time was like, oh, you're awesome, girlfriend. You're awesome. <laughs> you would just be like, well, you know, be like, I am awesome, you know. You meet people, you'd be like, hi, you're pleased to meet me, you know. <laughs> I'm Angel, and you're pleased to meet me. You know what I mean? Like, people would be like, dang. Right? She knows who she is. She knows where she's going. I'm going to follow her. I mean, like, wow. 
And then your life would give what? It would start to give ripple effect. When you walk into a room telling people that you're awesome and that they're, you're giving them permission to be awesome too. You're shining a light that's like shining lights. It's like you're lighting fires in people's lives. And it all started because deep inside you realized he wanted you. If I knew how much God loved me, I would die of love for him. John Vianney said that. He said it a little bit differently. He said if a priest ever realized his dignity, he would die of love. I would like to push that. I don't think he would disagree. If a Christian ever realized his dignity, he would die of love. To realize that the Son of God came to this earth to bring you from hell into his eternal embrace for no merit of your own, but by sheer grace and mercy. He wanted you with his Father so much that he contended with the forces of darkness in his own flesh. And in his blood, he bought you so that your life might shine in this darkness as a reminder to that darkness that it's waiting for that light. And that your love might be a place and a harbor of hope and of love for every single person who meets you. What a vision. And you know, we, we, we stand out there and we say, oh man, all my friends, they're atheists. Father Nathan, you don't understand. Oh, my, my, the world's atheist. My, they're proving to me God doesn't exist. Da, da, da. You know, and I'm just like, be not afraid. If this world is atheist, it's because it's waiting for you to tell it about the Savior. And if this world is angry and closed-minded and hateful towards you, it's because it's waiting. It doesn't yet know that it has been loved. Now who is going to tell it that it's been so loved? I think, you know, we got this thing wrong. We think in our heads, all right, there's the, like the Pope. He's at the top. And you got like, the Cardinals. And you got the bishops, right? You got like Father Nathan's. And then way down on the bottom, you got me, right? That's why I'm just a lay person and I'm not even married, right? So I'm like the lowest, the lay people, right? I mean, it's like ridiculous. Because you know what the church says? You don't know this because you don't read these documents. I, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll save you all the time because I read every one of them. The church says, it's exactly the opposite. Ding, 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 ding. The Pope's title, I am the servant of the servants of God. I'm at the bottom of the triangle. So it's almost like, he's like, I'm behind the front lines. My job is to train this level of guys called the bishops. And their job is to train this level of guys called the Father Nathans. And the Father Nathans of the world, priests, their job is to train you. And the, one who's are, the ones who are on the front lines are not the priests, not the bishops, not the Pope. It's the lay person. John Paul II said it so clearly. He said, the entire reason for all the pastoral work in the Catholic Church is the sanctification of the laity. Whoa. Why? Because if I can sanctify you, I sanctify the entire world in which you're interwoven. The vocation of the Catholic lay person, Vatican II, puts so beautifully, it says... The lay people are called by God to show this world how much God loves it. To show this world. The world of astrophysics. The world of cars. The world of laughter. The world of drinking. The world of football. The world, I mean like the world. How much God loves it. Your vocation as a Christian is to wake the dead, folks. And you can't be hiding behind the priests to do it. You're all like, oh man, if only Mother Teresa came back. Mother Teresa's not coming back till the end of the world. And if she was here right now, she'd be kicking you in the rear. She'd be like, listen, what do you think I did? I didn't have a Mother Teresa. You know what I mean? 
Mother Teresa waiting around me like, I wish Mother Teresa would show up and do something. And God's like, that's you. Like, oh, shoot, okay, I guess I better start doing something. My goodness. Mother Teresa fought her entire life to love Jesus Christ with every fiber of her being. And it cost her incredible anxiety, incredible aridity of soul, incredible loneliness, so that she could stand in front of her God and say, I love you. St. Teresa of Lisieux, one of my favorite saints, her last words at age 24 as she died, without marriage, all by her lonesome, 24, mon Dieu, je vous aime. My God, I love you. Guys, I want to invite you into that second level of Catholicism. I want to invite you to start to lead. Because I'll tell you this, the world on the outside, the culture on the outside is not strong. It is weak. It is bright. It is flashy. It is loud. But it is empty. I'm not trying to say some sort of categorical statement. There's a lot of goodness out there, you know. I'm not trying to make a point, some sort of negative thing. I'm just trying to get through to you how awesome it is to be a Roman Catholic. And if there are non-Roman Catholics who are here, how awesome it is to be a Christian. You take that faith that you have in Jesus Christ and you start to let it shine by embodying it in your own strengths. And you'll find the mission that you're longing for him to give you. I mean, if you're still, you're 27 and you're still waiting for your mission, I want to tell you, stop waiting. Your mission is probably right in front of you. If he wants you to change course and tell you some sort of other dramatic mission, I bet he will. I bet he will. But it could just be that he's up there saying, I've given you a mission. You got a friend who's lonely, who doesn't believe in herself. You got another friend who's struggling with mental illness. You got another friend whose dad just died. You got another friend who's going through unemployment. You got another friend who feels like she's all alone in the whole world. And then you're going to tell me you don't know what your mission is. I'm telling you what it is. I just gave you five of them. And no priest is going to be able to put those people back together again. No Mother Teresa is going to show up and help them. It's you. The number of young people in Columbus who are suffering terribly because they are not loved, is astounding. We fill this church over ten times. And yet we sit back and we say, I don't know what my mission is. I want you to turn to Christ on the cross and realize that the piety of religion, which is essential because it's your love for God, ought to light a fire in your soul to embody that love by the real acts of leadership in this culture. I'll give you an example. John Paul II. We all know he's a great guy. Maybe some of you don't even know who he was. You're entering the whippersnapper years. Whippersnapper years are people that don't remember John Paul II. That's the definition of a whippersnapper. (laughs) He was a pope, okay? Really holy. JP2, when he was your age, lived through a dramatic conflict in his life. He loved his country so much that his major in college was language. Why? Because he loved the study of words and the way that words shape history. He was a total brainiac guy. He would have been there sitting there like thinking great thoughts about like, you know, how words shape history. I mean, who thinks about this stuff? <laughs> There's JP too. So if you're one of those guys, you're like, I don't know, astrophysicist from Ohio State, welcome to the Catholic Church. <laughs> you might be the next Pope, you know? And so JP too loved that so much. Well, guess what? 
when he was 19 years old, the Nazis stormed his country and took it over. Polish language forbidden in many places. They gathered all the intellectuals of Krakow into a big city, kind of like this, into a big building. They said, we want to converse, converse with you about how we should govern the city. So all the pharmacists, the dentists, the doctors, the lawyers, they all came, the professors, they all showed up to converse about how to govern the city. They locked the doors behind them, funneled them out into a bus, drove them into the mountains, and shot them all in the back in one night. Welcome to totalitarianism. JP 2, 19, had all of his fathers stripped away from him. All these men he loved, his culture trodden underfoot. And after the war, the same thing happened with the communists. As they rewrote his history and started teaching young people an entirely different identity than the truth of who they were, rooted in their religion and their religious heritage and in the Catholic faith. So what did JP2 do? He decided to lead. He would take them out into the mountains and hiking with them, canoeing with them, they would revel in their identity of an authentic culture. I th- and then that same JP too wrote a letter when the wall went down. And he said the mistake of radical communism is the same mistake we find in radical capitalism. A materialistic explanation of the human person that is forceful and loud and very much in your face at all times, but which fails to answer the deep thirst of the soul. And in 1994, when they asked him why communism fell in the book Crossing the Threshold of Hope, JP2 wrote very simply, it failed because it was an inadequate system. It did not satisfy the human spirit that it was pretending to govern. And to awaken a spirit of rebellion in the the people, he brought them into the freedom of the challenge of nature and authentic human relationships. And his students, his young adults, resisted. Cultural resistance. It became the hallmark of his papacy. And it's a message I want you to hear. Because you're confronted every day with the situation of a loud, flashy culture that wants you to conform your life to it. If you conform your behaviors, your opinions, your choices to the demands of the zeitgeist around you, you will have peace in your life. You will be approved, you will be allowed to continue, etc. I just want to ask you though, Whom is it that you are serving? Whom is it that you love? If I want comfort, if I love comfort, if that's what I'm all about, then I'll find the way of comfort. But my question to you is, are you made for comfort? No. Some of the hardest things in life are the best. I want you to go and listen to President John F. Kennedy when he launched the United States of America on its mission to the moon. It was at Rice University in 1962. It might have been 1961. I think it was 61. He's standing there at Rice University and he says, this challenge of going to the moon will represent the greatest task this country has ever faced. But we do not go there because it is easy. We go there because it is hard. Doing hard things, he said, summoned the deepest strengths of a culture and of a person. And their true greatness shines through. Guys, I think Jesus Christ is calling us to do something that's hard. I don't think it's going to be easy. I don't think it's going to be pretty. I don't think it's going to be comfortable. I think it's going to be hard. I think it's going to be messy. And I think it's going to be uncomfortable. Bring it. When the saints had to do their great deeds, St. Peter Claver baptizing a hundred thousand African slaves 
as they were brought over dying on the docks. Do you think it was comfortable or clean? It wasn't. People made fun of him. People didn't give him resources. You had a saint out there baptizing dying people without resources and support. He was doing it himself in the mud, dragging them over here, trying to care for them, trying to help them without the support. Well, St. John Bosco tried to help 300 street urchins by bringing them into an orphanage. He was opposed. He was shot down. He was not neglected. He had to beg for money and get the door slammed in his face. A Catholic priest, a saint, begging for money. Think he stopped? Heck no. You read the life of St. Paul. Read 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Ask yourself how easy it looked. Three times I was scourged. Five times I was whipped. Three times I was was caned. And once I was stoned. (laughs) Dang. And all I got to do is make the sign of the cross at work, you know? (laughs) It's like... I got off kind of easy, you know what I mean? It's like, hey, this is really tough. But I tell you what, those same saints, they tell us, I have never regretted giving my life to love. The difference between that comfort that I described and the vibrant Catholic leadership that I'm calling for is that on the one hand, you have comfort perhaps, but at what price? Are you willing to sacrifice your freedom for comfort? I don't mean political freedom. I'm not making a political speech. I mean your identity. Do you really want to have kids one day and turn to those kids and tell them, you know what, mom doesn't really know what she stands for anyway. You know what mom stands for? Whatever everyone says mom's supposed to stand for. Really? The kids are like, Mom, what did you accomplish with your life? He said, well, actually nothing, because I'm mediocre. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there's just something wrong with that picture, you know? Kids, don't be proud of me. There's nothing to be proud of in your mom. I'm full of guilt and shame for everything bad I've ever done in my life. And my past has defined my future, so I stopped living at about age 25. And you will too. <laughs> oh my gosh! You're like, stop, Father Nathan, it's such a negative picture. Well, I mean, hello? Everyone who's 25 out here, guess what? It's time to shine the light. And not allow yourself to lie. That you are worthless, that you are not, that you don't count, that you don't have any gifts. You're the daughter of God, most high, who has been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ at such a price because your life does matter. And what you're going to do with your life is tremendous. What he wants to shine through that window is gorgeous. And the church wants to set you on fire and send you out into every corner of this world with that bold proclamation. God so loved the world that he died for you too. I'm just quoting JP2. That one's Christi Fides Lei G, chapter 3. I like his stuff a lot. He said the world is owed that proclamation by Christians. God loves you. You are worthy. But my friends, if the world looks around for leadership from the church and doesn't find leadership from the church, where is this world going to find anything greater than it? I don't blame the fact that we have all kinds of societal struggles or problems or all this stuff on society. I put the blame squarely on my shoulders. What have I done to demonstrate to this world where it's going? That you, you, your friends looking for their ways, trying to figure things out, getting married outside the church, not baptizing their babies, not going to church anymore, choosing a different religion. I don't know, whatever kind of stuff that they're doing. We can look at all that stuff and then be like, oh man, you know what? Like, they're waiting for us to give them a convincing reason to stay. Here's how you do it. Fall in love with Jesus. Fall in love with Jesus. You know as well as I that the great millennial generation, and great you are, 
looks for one thing more than anything else. Authenticity. This is Pope, Pope Paul VI said it back in 1975 before millennials were even born. So it was even true before for old guys like me. He said, the modern world will listen more to witnesses than it will to teachers. And the one thing that will crave, and that, that the world craves, and that must mark every proclamation of the word of God for this modern world to hear, is that it be authentic. I think that that's really profound. Because what he's really saying is that what this world wants more than anything else is men and women who are going to demonstrate the greatness of the call by embodying it themselves. So here's the conversion I'd like for you to do. I'd like for you to identify for yourself what your excuse is. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to be like all tough with you and everything, but then again, I've only got another five minutes. I want you to identify what your excuse is. I can name mine. I got one too. You know, I'm not a superstar up here. I can tell you what my excuses are. I could list them all off for you. I know them. They're the things that keep back that light from shining that I've allowed to dwell in my, li in my life. And every single one of them is false. But they're only powerful when I haven't identified them. What's your excuse? For some, it's what you've done in the past. You're so ashamed. I think this is especially young men this happens to. Because we have this sense of justice. We have this sense of decorum and dignity. So what we do is we basically just like count ourselves out. Father, I already did this dastardly deed, right? I can't undo it, and I'm so ashamed that for the rest of my life, I will punish myself. <laughs> I've agreed with God that basically I'm not supposed to be a hypocrite. That's like the third lesson of Catholic, of Catholic schools. Don't be a hypocrite. <laughs> it's kind of a minor lesson, but it's there. It's right there. Don't be a hypocrite. So it's like, I'm not going to be a hypocrite. So what, what exactly does that mean? I want to get in your face for a sec. What does that mean? Don't be a hypocrite. Like, well, it basically means that if I've done something that's bad, that I'm bad. And I have to own that and act like I'm bad the rest of my life. <laughs> like, so when you get married, you're going to lead the prayers at your table? Oh, no, sir. Nope. I'm bad. My, your poor wife. Your poor wife. No, I'm not going to lead prayers at the table because I'm bad. This is not Catholicism, folks. The Catholic Church is a church of second chances. Third chances, fourth chances, 490 chances per day. And that's not even right math. Seven times 70. Yeah, 490. I did the math. And now I want you to start thinking about that. The question is, God looking at you and saying, look, if you become mediocre and allow your sins to define your life, it is not my fault. I stretched out my hands upon that cross for you, and I gave that power to every Catholic priest walking in this world to set you free. I do not intend any prison of evil, even the ones you enter, to be able to withhold and withstand the strength of my resurrection. I'm here. Where are you? And any time you find yourself with that guilt, I want you to flee to confession, flee to Jesus Christ, flee to his precious blood. And if you don't want to do it for your sake, you do it for the sake of everyone around you. Because when you allow yourself to be imprisoned, you allow everyone around you to be imprisoned too. And if you set yourself free, and you let Jesus set you free, he will let you set free everyone around you. And my friends, that is the point. To proclaim to this world that though we may be sinners... He is holy. And though we may be insufficient, He is sufficient. My proclamation is not me. It's Him. Now that's powerful. That's Christianity. I don't care if you tell me every single time, Father, it's the same sins I did every single time. I'd like to first of all congratulate you that you didn't get any worse. No, I mean... Especially because people who say that, they usually be like, it's the same thing, Father. I'm just so judgmental. I'm just like, why don't you just kill me with marshmallows? You know, like, oh, how judgmental. Like, you terrible, terrible being. You know what I mean? Like, we got, like, maybe if you were like, I still killing people. Every day I end up killing more people. 
that might be a, one that we might be overly concerned about. But when you're like, you know, that's like, all right. Do you think, I mean, like, you know, when you're dead, you'll never sin again. In the meantime, confess your sins and get out there. Because you're awesome. He made you awesome. He redeemed you awesome. And he wants you to tell the world that it's awesome. Go out and wake the dead. Our culture is waiting for Christ. Christ is brought by Christians. And you, my friends, are the Christians to bring Christ to our culture. Let no excuse remain before the man whose eyes are flames of fire and whose resurrection has overcome the world. So here's what I want you to do. I want you just to go ahead and bow your heads. I want you to let what I said kind of sink in. I talked about your baptism. I talked about his death on the cross, saying, I thirst. I talked about his great love for you. And then I asked you if you would dare to love him back. And you're thinking about all the chains that are binding your heart down. Fear. What if they don't like me? What if I fail? What if I look stupid? My hypocrisy my brokenness, my neediness, my clinginess, all these chains. I want you just to see your heart right there underneath all those chains. Wrapped down. And now I want to ask you to have the courage to let your Savior in. I'm going to read for you from a very powerful prayer. From the desire of being esteemed, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being extolled, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being honored, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being praised, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being preferred to others. From the desire of being consulted. From the desire of being approved. From the fear of being humiliated. From the fear of being despised. From the fear of suffering rebuke. From the fear of being calumniated. From the fear of being forgotten. From the fear of being ridiculed. From the fear of being wronged. From the fear of being suspected. Lord Jesus, I ask you to send your Holy Spirit down upon these your disciples. Set them free. Empower them by your Holy Spirit to be bold in following you. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. And we're not quite done yet. While you're still in that place of focus, I want you now to call to mind three gifts that you've been given by God. By gifts I'm not thinking of, I'm really good at astrophysics, or I'm good at golf. I want you to think about three places where light comes to this world through you. I'm very good at welcoming people. I'm a very compassionate person. I have a strength of laughter. People just start laughing when they're around me. It's weird. It's a gift. Some, some of you, it's as soon as I come into a room, everyone gets quiet and looks at me. It's a weird thing. It's called leadership. People just do it. It's weird. And you're like, why, why are you all looking at me? And I was like, what should we do? And you're like, man, this is easy. I want you to start thinking and be real specific. What are three places where people say, I give light? I don't believe them because I'm not humble. <laughs> I'm not humble enough to be great. <laughs> but if I did believe them, this is what people always tell me about me. What they like about me. Think it through. It's really important. When you think you got those three, I want you to remember them. Because your next step is to go out of those doors and give them. I don't care about your weaknesses. They don't tell me anything about you. I care a lot about those strengths. And if you focus your faith not on your lack of chastity... Not in the fact that all you can do is play video games. Those are your weaknesses. Put those aside. If you were to focus your faith on those strengths, you'd set a fire to this world. Every saint has a past, and every sinner has a future.